All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Motor City Metrics podcast. We have quite the crew on hand today, not the usual bunch. We got me, Chris, and Cameron. Cameron, as always, being the honorary oos. If you're a wrestling fan, you'd understand that. If you're not, <laughs> Raj is currently at softball. Hopefully, we'll be graced by his presence tonight. And Youper couldn't join us tonight. What's going on, guys? How's everything been? Good, 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 good. Weather starting to feel summer-like out here. Baseball starting to travel a little more. I was watching the Whitecaps, and they they gave up a home run in the ninth inning, the dead center, which is damn near impossible out at LMCU ballpark. You can tell the heat's coming, so that's that's nice. We opened up the pool. Probably gonna have our draft show from the pool side, so that that should be fun. Nice, nice. What about you, Cameron? You messaged me 10 minutes ago if I wanted to join. <laughs> so I quit my workout or ran upstairs and tidied myself up to to talk talk Tigers baseball. That's dedication, man. And we did hit 1,000 subs, so thank you. And we do have super chats on. So if you guys want to leave a super chat and leave a question or comment for the end of the show, I believe Bloodright donated yeah, thank $10. You, Bloodright. Yes, thank you very, very much. And yeah, so last time we met, me and Youper had a little quick conversation on Monday, just going over some things. But yeah, over the last week, we just want to talk about our takeaways over series against the Cardinals and then the Guardians. So when do you guys want to kick it off with what you guys have seen over the last week? Uh, yeah, I, can, I can start. I, the last time we met on our Thursday show, there was, I think, a sense of cautious optimism. Hey, this team's playing pretty well lately. And let's see if they can keep it going on this, this road trip. And they sure as hell did. They were in every single game. Now, the, the Sunday game against St. Louis really got away from them once the bullpen got in there. And that's just one of those games. They, they talk, managers will talk about there's 50 games you're going to win, 50 you're going to lose or whatever. And it's the, it's the 50 in the, in the middle that you got to win. And that one just went. But that was pretty sweet because they had won the first two games. They'd been fighting. And then that Jake Rogers Grand Slam. Oh, man, they're, they're going to take this. And then the, hate had the, the deadly Cardinals briefly got off life support. But then, yeah, they, they came right back and really dominated Cleveland, right? Other, like the, the second game, the one against Bieber, now they, you can chalk it up to some terrible clutch hitting if you want. But I'd say 90% of the time, if you get that many guys on base and have those many opportunities with, with runners in square position, you're going to win. Or at least you're going to score more than zero runs. I, I will say that. So that was just a fluky loss. But I don't know, you come away from a road trip four and two, I think you got to be happy about that, especially when you're defeating the team that's right next to you in the standings. So, yeah, I, I think Tigers fans should be feeling pretty good about the team. You got more good starts from Erod and, and Lorenzen. It's it's looking good right now. Yeah. What about you, Cameron? Yeah, I think Chris summed it up pretty well. I'm just glad that on what was the Beaver start Tuesday. So on Tuesday, despite going one for 50 with runners in scoring position. They, di they didn't come back the next day pouting and having bad at-bats and trying to force themselves. They came out of the gate swinging, swinging good. And yeah, they got all five runs in the first two innings, but that was enough with Erod on the mound to get them a win. They didn't let the one bad loss affect them. Not even a bad loss either, just a frustrating loss on their part. And yeah, yeah four and two, four and two is great. I'll take four and two. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I can't believe you guys haven't mentioned his name yet, Eduardo Rodriguez. I feel like every week we're over here gushing about him, saying how great he's been. And another fantastic start against the Guardians. Now we, we're 
And one of my numbers is with the Guardians offense. So we'll get to that later. But yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez, what have you guys seen from him? Is off to one of the best starts we've seen from a Tiger starting pitcher in a while. And yeah, what are you guys' overall thoughts on just his season so far, his long-term trajectory with the Tigers? Are you still on the same boat of he's not a long-term piece for us? Go ahead, Cameron. Yeah, so he's the first one since Michael Falmer to go five five starts with one run or less. I think that's the stat. I don't even know where to begin with him. Uh, he's throwing strikes. He's He's commanding the zone. He's getting... Credit to Jake Rogers with this as well, but he's getting called strikes right on the corner. Like, there's nothing hitters can do right now against him. Even when he walks two in an inning, it doesn't even seem like the inning's getting away from him. It just seems like, oh, okay, now he has to throw four more pitches to get out of this inning. But I, I can't even speak. I, it's just amazing to watch. It's must. It's must. It's must see TV. I haven't to the past five, five starts. I haven't felt this way since watching Verlander and Scherzer pitch. Yeah, he's definitely on one of those runs that you see from pitchers occasionally. We've seen him in Detroit. Even you mentioned Michael Fulmer. That was his rookie year, I think, when he went on that crazy run of like six, seven straight starts. We've seen it from Verlander, seen it from Scherzer, Price, guys like that. But yeah, this one it, it feels a little bit different. It, and but it's still the same idea. You go out there and you're just expecting him to throw up a shutout for six, seven innings. Just he's just got his command. It's it's perfect right now, and he's 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 just got total control of the game from the the jump. He's putting the ball where he wants to. He's getting guys off balance. He's getting weak contact. He's getting some swings and misses, like a, a decent amount. He's not. It's not like super overpowering Verlander or Scherzer at their best. But it's just it's like artistry. It kind of reminds me. You guys might be a little bit too young. But uh, when Cliff Lee was in his prime, he pitched like this. He was just putting the ball wherever he wanted to, not super velocity, but but hitters couldn't do anything against him. And that's what we're seeing right now. And just gonna we what's gonna disappear at some point. He's gonna have a rough outing. Pitchers don't usually stick like this for a whole season, but maybe he will. Who knows? <laughs> it's certainly you can you can see the impact it's having on the rest of the team. Like Cameron mentioned, you got some runs early in the game, you got Erod on the mound, you're fine. You're feeling good. You're, you're like, we're going to win this game. Let's just go out here and catch the ball and, and try to put together some good plate appearances, but just win this one. And they did. But yeah, it's it's really nice to have a picture like that right now. Yeah. And yeah, kind of my one takeaway too is what you guys said about them being able to bounce back. It seems like they just have this fight in them that they didn't really have last year to struggle the way that they did. That one nothing loss against Cleveland was so frustrating because of all the chances that they had and to get that start from Michael Lorenzen. What do you guys really attribute that to? Just this, the competitiveness, the the fight that this team has. They've had some comeback wins. Is it just Scott Harris being in charge and the new group they have? Or is do you credit A.J. Hinch or, or the players? What do you really look towards for this team's surprise competitiveness early in the season? I, I think it's a certain mojo. I think I think everything slowly started to click. I posted it today. McKinstry is batting above 300 while hitting leadoff. And I think they tried Green at leadoff, and Green kind of had a rough start to the season. They tried Maton at leadoff. Maton has had a rough year. And then McKinstry, McKinstry has been batting leadoff for, what, almost two weeks now? And there's been the past two weeks of Tigers' offense has been weird. We haven't, we haven't been used to this since probably 
mid 2021 when they went on that stretch in June. And uh, there's a certain mode. Green's hitting the ball hard to the pole side. Torkelson's getting clutch RBIs. I think everything's gelling together. And I, and I attribute that to the winning. Yeah, people always say hitting's contagious. And it, it seems like not hitting is also contagious. It was That was the way the season started. That was the way last year was for the entire year. People point to when Javi got benched and, and then suddenly he's turning around. He, he went six games without a strikeout or something like that, which is seemingly a record for him. Strikeouts came back a little bit, but he's been hitting well. Everyone mentioned Green and Torque are hitting well. McKinstry, you, you, you can't overlook the contributions from Dandy Yabanez, which is nobody saw coming. So I, I do think there is, I was thinking about this the other day when I was driving. That's when I do my baseball thinking sometimes. I was like, so you got Zach McKinstry and you got Andy Yabanez. Now it's super early, and, and I assume Andy Yabanez is going to come back down to earth like a lead balloon at some point. But I was trying to think, of who were the random acquisitions or minor leaguers that, that Alabila got that ever did anything? It was, and I was like, Nico Goodrum was pretty good for a year or two. Like he was okay. But after that, it was like, it's got John Hicks, uh, who would hit some home runs. It was Brandon Dixon. There were guys who showed flashes, but really nothing. Like Zach McKenzie looks like a good major league player. Like I'm not, he's not an all-star or whatever, but like this guy can stick around. I think like the skills he has are very useful. And Abanez, he's hitting and playing various infield positions. Yeah. I think there's, there's a level of competency we're seeing from the front office right now you don't want to make too much of it just yet but i think that probably helps the confidence of the players and once you start hitting the ball you feel like hey we can keep doing this and they have been so you just gotta hope that it, it sticks they're they're facing some tough pitchers against seattle this weekend and that'll be a real test for them but i don't know they, they don't seem to be bieber held them off balance but they don't seem to be too too overwhelmed by anybody they're facing these days yeah, and that's a good segue into their next opponent starting tomorrow against Seattle. I describe Seattle as like a sleeping giant in a way. Obviously, they won a playoff series last year. They made some moves this offseason, had expectations to try to reach a World Series this year. And so far, they're under 500. They're 18 and 19. Their offense has been pretty dreadful. They lost Robbie Ray for the whole season. And yeah, how worried would you guys be going against a team like Seattle? They're going to be at home, so no West Coast trip. But yeah, Seattle, offense is really struggling, but they still have some really good pitching. I know Bryce Miller has looked really, really good. He's starting game two. They got Marco Gonzalez in game one. Yeah, what are you guys' kind of expectations and thoughts for the Seattle Mariners coming up? Yeah, I'm not terribly crazy about the pitch matchups that the Tigers have there. Tanner Bybee is a really good young pitcher, too, and, and the Tigers managed to get to him. He's got some really nice pitch metrics, a nasty slider, and a pretty good fastball with ride. And, and that's the thing with, with Bryce Miller has these off-the-charts kind of induced vertical break and vertical approach angle and all this kind of modern stuff that, that is just ideal. But has he, I, I don't know if he's made a trip out east yet. The way the Tigers fans, we always lament when the teams go out west because it's, it seems like they don't play out there. But uh, I bet you the same is true for the Mariners. They probably don't like coming to Detroit. So maybe you can pull out a little bit of that. But yeah, the Seattle is, is a really good last three years. They've become maybe like a top five organization in terms of developing their pitchers. They, they just, they've got so many good arms. Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. But like we said, the Tigers offense is, is rolling right now. I don't know. You look, I, I looked the other day and it was like, hey, the top six guys in this lineup, it's just, it's like, no. This is not crazy, but they're like, oh, they're all hitting 240 plus, which was, oh, what a, what a revelation. Some like Green is up to 260 and Baez is like 260 and Badu is up there. It's like, 
guys are actually performing well enough that, that this is a major league offense. So I, I don't know. I'm excited to watch him play against Seattle. I think it's a good matchup for him. On the on the Bybee thing, I think I think Matt Shepard started the game off saying Bybee hasn't allowed a single walk this year yet. And then first McKinstry, first player or first player first at bat of the game gets a walk. I think I think Detroit needs to win game one. Miller has I think close to a five ERA. So hopefully if they can get to Bryce Miller, they can set the tone for the series. Yeah. I think I think you mean Gonzalez. Marco yes. Gonzalez. Oh, Gonzalez. I was looking at the wrong day. Yeah, Marco yeah, Gonzalez has a five ERA. Bryce, yeah, your Bryce Miller has an under just... one ERA. So yeah, yeah, set the tone, gain a Marco Gonzalez, and then go into game two, game three. Hopefully with that game one win, you could set the tone for the series and hopefully hopefully take at least another one. Game two, game three, probably the hardest matchups they'll have all year. They've had since Tampa in terms of pitching. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of it. Just, just stick to your approach with Seattle hood or Seattle pitchers. Yeah, and Seattle pitching's been really, really good. They have a 3.37 team ERA, but their offense has been pretty dreadful. They sit 27th in baseball and team OPS. Their offense has not been much better than the Tigers. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on kind of Seattle, what they've looked like. Jared Kelnick got off to a really good start. He slowed down a little bit. I saw a comment with Julio Rodriguez. He really hasn't looked that great this year. Colton Wong, I know a lot of Tigers fans wanted him. He's been pretty dreadful at the plate. And yeah, just your overall thoughts on the Mariners and do you still believe in them as a true World Series contender? Or I'm not going to say they'd be a 500 team, but do you think they've taken a step back in a sense from last year? In my opinion, it's probably just kind of one of those early season things, relatively speaking. Like, I'm not worried about Julio Rodriguez. Maybe he's having a classic sophomore slump. But uh, that dude's way too talented to keep struggling like this. Like he was so good last year that I think he'll he'll figure some things out. The big dumper, I don't know what he's been doing this year, Cal Rally. But uh, let me check. I, I just pulled up the stats here to see. So he's got five homers. He's batting. He's not going to hit for a high average. But yeah, I, I think I've been a little bit surprised that some of their guys aren't performing better. I France, I thought would be a little bit more productive. Looks like Teres Hernandez is not hitting terribly well. He's got some power, but I think there's a, a lot of talent on that team and it's just I don't know maybe they're just waiting for the weather to warm up for the bats to warm up you know, hopefully they stay cold for another week or so but yeah I don't I don't I think I think they were playing kind of roughly 500 ball last year for a while too and then they started getting hot around this time maybe it was in June maybe a little bit later but uh, yeah I, I think there's just a bit too much talent there for them to continue to struggle like this on offense I think Julio had a rough start to last year as well. I think I think he took a month month or two to really get going. If you have asked me at the start of the year, I would think Seattle is where Texas is right now, and then Texas would be where Seattle is at right now. But after after Kalnick and J, JP Crawford's been surprising for them this year. After that, everyone else has been off to a slow start, and that's really affected their runs per game. But looking at Julio, he still has six. He has six home runs. So yeah, I mean, they they yeah, still have a yeah they still have a good offense, but they just have certain key players that you would want to be performing, not performing. Suarez has a eighty two OPS plus. Colton Wong, then they they just got him from Milwaukee. He's at a forty eight OPS plus. I'm sure, Seattle fans are calling for his head right now. So yeah, yeah, and, and they didn't add a ton. AJ Pollock, they got him on the free agent market and, and he hasn't done a whole lot. And 
Yeah, I think Oscar Hernandez, eighty four. Yeah, they tried, traded for him. Yeah, some they, some of the guys just aren't performing up to snuff right now, and, and I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully they they stay down for another series. I wouldn't shock me if they have one big breakout game. But the Tigers have been pitching well, so maybe they can use this day off to rest up and, and really go at them, guns blazing. Yeah, so, yeah, Tigers love Boyd in game one, Alex Fideo in game two, and Joey Wentz in game three. And, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on Alex Fideo because I know you're in tap with the minor leagues. Why do you think he was chosen to get called up? Has he looked? Has he shown improvement in the minor leagues? What what, what did he do to deserve the call up? Obviously, Turnbull, they had to call it, send him down, but... They chose Fideo to get a spot in the rotation. Why do you think that is? Can can yeah. I answer for for you first? Yeah, sure. He is. He looked like the most competent pitcher in the AAA rotation. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's it. There. That's been a thing for for a long time. Where they'll say we need somebody from Toledo, and they say who's playing the best down there. Bring him up. That's. I think that's how they got on Andy Abanez. I think and and Fido was basically the only real option. There, you know, Ashton Godot hasn't been pitching well. I actually, Toledo is, is, is my bad today, and I'll explain more in that. But yeah, the, the starting pitching down there hasn't been great. The one guy that people were maybe hoping would be ready for a spot start has been actually brutal. And so Fido was, was pitching well down there. It's still basically the same stuff he had last year. I know there's been some, he changed his arm angle and changed his delivery a little bit, but it's still a kind of a, a below average fastball in terms of velocity and movement and shape, but a slider that at times can be a plus pitch for him. Sometimes when it's, when it's not working for him, he gets in trouble, but more often than not, it is. And then he'll pepper in the changeup and he throws a lot of strikes. And that seems to be, we hear that over and over and over again from, from both Harris and Hitch strike throwing, throwing strikes, getting the ball over the zone. And, and that something that even Turnbull who at times looked okay, he's just always had trouble really throwing quality strikes for long stretches of period. It was basically his one good stretch was right there when he threw his no-hitter and then he got hurt. But for most of his career, he's been had, had trouble keeping low pitch counts. And I think they just got frustrated with, with him not being able to go deep into games without giving up the ghost there. And, and so, yeah, Fido, it was something we talked about in the last show, I think, is, is there's going to be some accountability. I know people like to apply this across the board and say, okay, why is Cabrera still on the team? Why is Scope still on the team? Why is Maton still on the team? There's different aspects of that. If Turnbull is not pitching you deep into games, he's not much of a help to you. So they wanted to give somebody else a shot. Yeah. And has Turnbull reported to Toledo? Do you guys know? Not that I know of. Yeah, it was one of the funniest. I, and I don't remember what the, there is a kind of a, a deadline. You get like a certain amount of days to do that when you get sent down. I don't remember if it was three or five, but we were joking about it because I remember when Anthony Ghost got sent down a few years back, he took like the entire time that he had, instead of reporting immediately, he took three or four days or whatever, went fishing. He went fishing. I was like, hey, all right, well, I guess you got to do what you got to do. And I don't know with, with Turnbull. So I don't know that Turnbull is considered, I think he's considered generally like a, a pretty hard worker and not lazy or anything like that. But I know that personality wise, it's a, he's a little bit prickly if you will. And I, I will say like he's, I've interviewed like 60, 70 minor leaguers before, and he was the only one who made it very obvious that he didn't want to be talking to me. Like it was like, and then the, the people, when I was talking to the, with, this is back in West Michigan in 2015, 
I was like, I'd like to talk to Turnbull. And the guy was like, really? I was like, yeah, he's a good pitcher, right? And he's like, yeah, all right, here you go. Like, all right. so he's just kind of an, an interesting dude. So it wouldn't shock me if he's, I wouldn't say sulking, but probably not terribly happy about being sent down. I don't know many people who would be, right? So he might just be, uh, yeah, a little, was little salty about the, the longest tenured Tiger on the team after Cabrera. Yeah. Been, and was what, opening day starter in 2019? Or home opening was maybe, maybe yeah. I'm confusing him, but I mean, he's I been in the rotation for a, he was a the while. home opener. He was, he was, yeah, it was, I was down there for that game. It was against Kansas City and it was 14 degrees. It was so cold. I was supposed to go see Rock M that night at the St. Andrew's Hall, but I didn't, I was so cold and I didn't want to wait around. Anyway, but yeah, yeah, I don't, a lot of people were like, wow, I didn't even think he had options remaining. He's damn near 31. He's, he's not a young pitcher. It, it's wild how old he is. Stan was mentioning there, and, and this is what people have talked about, is, is there's some talk like if he stays down in Toledo for three weeks, a month, something like that, the fact that he'll get an extra year of team control on him, which is, is true, but I, don't, I, I, just, I have a hard time believing that that was something they put into consideration there. And maybe it's, hey, and this is, but, but like I said, he's already damn near 31. I don't think they're trying to it's it's not service time manipulation when you desert like you have stuff to work on like you're not some you're not killing it up here in ml and the majors and yeah 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 and i don't i don't think that service time was their first second or third consideration there really yeah yeah we me and youper talked about this week youper said he sees him more as like a a reliever long term maybe that could be the case, but I don't know what really interests me is the long-term outlook outlook of this pitching staff. Just where if they do move Eduardo Rodriguez, you're going to have Manning coming back, my schoolball coming back, bro, Brisky coming back. What do you guys view it maybe towards the end of this season after the trade deadline? Because the long-term view of this rotation and what, what, what we can see, do you see Joey Wentz being a guy that could be able to stick? Do you think Fideo? is going to be able to stick in this rotation. I think there's a lot of moving parts, and I think this rotation could look really, really different in a couple months from now. Uh-oh. Stan says your audio is goofing up. I don't know if he's talking to me or to you or what. Yeah, yeah that's the biggest question right now. It's the biggest sports radio in Detroit. Is uh, Suddenly we have to talk about the Tigers. And, and so all they're talking about is, okay, what can they, they're going to trade Eduardo Rodriguez. What are they going to get? And we've talked about it a little bit, but it's, I'm to the point now where if I'm Scott Harris, I just set the bar really high. I'd say, you guys want Erod? Give me an everyday regular, a top 50th prospect and another prospect, somebody in the lower levels who's interesting. And, and you can have them. If not, we're fine keeping them and we'll, we'll try to renegotiate a contract with them after the year, maybe, maybe sign it to an extension. The extension stuff is a little bit iffy because he's so cheap now. That if you want to make it worth it, his while, you probably have to give him $30 million a year for two years with probably an extra, hey, if you throw 300 innings between these two years, you get a, a sixth season that kicks in. And I don't know if you want to do that with 35, 36-year-old Eduardo Rodriguez. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think there's more value probably. I guess the Tigers could always use more talent in the minor league system, right? But it, it all depends on what you're going to get. If you're just going to get a, and I don't mean to be mean, but like a Sawyer Gibson long level prospect what they got for former they just keep Eduardo Rodriguez and, and play fun baseball throughout the summer that's going to be more valuable I think to your team to your young players to go out there and, and, and try to win but uh, and not to believe at that point but 
yeah, I think Scoobal will come back and, and be a member of the rotation. Hopefully there's no setbacks there. And, and presumably Manning will too, but I would not put the, put it at Manning to spend some time in Toledo because he, he deserves it, if you will. Um, I, I don't picture Fido sticking in the rotation long-term, but uh, he surprised me last year until he got hurt. He was pitching a lot better than I thought he would. Brisky, I think they had basically moved him to the bullpen already. So I think that that'll take care of itself. But yeah, you, you hopefully everybody else stays healthy and then you have some interesting choices to make. Joey Wentz has been up and down, but when he's on, he looks like a, a, a legit like number four starter. And I think he's shown more in his, I don't know how many, 12 career starts now, something like that, than we've seen from, honestly, than we've seen from Manning. So, yeah, I think that will be an interesting question as the season goes along. Sometimes these things take care of themselves. Lorenzen doesn't have a terribly stellar track record of staying healthy. Matthew Boyd's been injured a little bit in the last few years. None of these guys threw a ton of innings last year. So, yeah, they might, they might end up just with a kind of a, a replacement squad of pitchers after the, the guys starting right now get injured or, or leave. Yeah, I got into an argument like, who's going to the bullpen when school ball gets back? And so everyone in the rotation that's in it right now probably won't be healthy when school comes yeah. back. It'll probably take care of itself. I would put Brisky in a different category than Wentz, Manning, Mize, and Scooble. I'd probably put Wentz and Manning in a different category than Mize and Scooble. But uh, yeah. yeah, I see, I see, I see Turnbull going to the bullpen when he comes back, and yeah, and I think I I think Manning deserves some more MLB starts. I I don't know if there's too much he needs to work on in AAA. At the moment, I think he needs to face MLB competition, but that's just me. Yeah, I would assume that he gets more shots to start up here. I'm just trying to think of like the ways they they can make it work with Manning as he could he can go down to AAA, so they could send him down. Same with Wentz, honestly. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not counting on seeing Casey Mize this year. If if they do, it'll it maybe like three innings at a time in September or something like that. And I do. So the funny thing about Turnbull is is going back. So when they drafted him, people were projecting him to the bullpen. And he just kept starting and kept starting. And there was like, it was weird watching him because it would like nothing looked like a plus pitch, but then nobody ever hit him hard. And then you, you get him up to the minor or majors and you finally said, oh, okay, the ball just is moving everywhere all the time. But he would be an interesting pitcher out of the bullpen if he could maybe get the velocity back up to 97 and maybe just settle in on a slider as a secondary pitch. I think he could. He could be a Michael Fulmer style, like suddenly a very valuable late inning guy. Like, who knows if he's willing to do that though? But I don't know. Sometimes you just got to tell the guy he's got to do it. Everything we know about him so far says that he'll be fighting for a starting position job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the competitor in, in professional athletes, right? A lot of guys don't, they think they can start. Daniel Norris wanted to start still. I think he's down in Columbus right now with a 70 RA, but I think he's trying to start. So anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if they do move it, what a Rodriguez, you will be getting Turnbull back, not Turnbull, Scooble back at a similar time. So be like out with Erod, but you're getting a pretty good pitcher back in Tarek Scooble. And yeah, we don't know what's really going to happen with Brisket, but I do think we could see a little bit of a youth movement in a way if Lorenzen continues to pitch well or maybe they want to move Boyd. I think Boyd would be good in the bullpen. I wanted Matthew Boyd to start in the bullpen as well. But yeah, I think it'll be an interesting development as the season goes along. And I think we're going to see a, a lot of guys in that rotation. But I think Scott Harris has built up some pretty 
good depth considering the fact that the, the big three that the Tigers had, they're all injured in man, Manning, Mize, and Scooble. And Brisky's injured as well. And now Turnbull got sent down. So that's that's five guys right there. That's a starting rotation. And the fact that he's still been able to, the Tigers still have a respectable rotation with essentially five starters down, I think shows the depth that they've been able to build throughout this organization and with their starting pitching. I will yeah, say we're a little bit of caution. Scooble can come back in July. Doesn't mean he's going to pitch like he did in May last year. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we're expecting him to come back. Doesn't mean he'll be the, he'll be a good replacement for Rodriguez at that yeah. time. Yeah, you know, we've seen some some guys really struggle. Like we just mentioned, Michael Fulmer. Michael Fulmer, his first year back from Tommy John surgery was not good. They had him throwing three innings at a time, and he was just getting bombed every time. We've seen Turnbull not not quite what he was. It's it's hard for guys to come back up now. Scoobles injury and time off, I, it wasn't as severe or as as lengthy as those other two guys. But yeah, I, I imagine there's going to be a fair amount of rust. Scoobles just seems. I've always thought he had a little bit of that. Max Scherzer, Madman in him. He just seems like a guy who's like super competitive and, and will bust his ass to to get to where he wants to be. But uh, sometimes just wanting it a ton isn't enough. You just got to go back there and get the feel for pitching again. But yeah, you, we, we we didn't even discuss that everybody talks about trading Erod. They could trade Lorenzen and Boyd too, or and or them. And somebody might want Boyd as a bullpen option down the stretch. He, he was pretty good in that role for Seattle last year. So those guys might be gone, and that might be where you get room for the starters who come back. So they've got some options. But as as you would say, you can never have enough pitching, right? Nope, I don't think so. Yeah, but do you guys want to get into our segments now? I think Raj left us an inside the number, so we usually get to that second. So you want to do the good and bad ugly? Cameron? We usually... Oh, you want to do inside the number first? We usually do inside the numbers first, but it's up to, yeah, whatever, whatever you want yeah. to do it. We can do that. So I think this is Raj's video that he sent in. So yes, here is Raj's Inside the Number for the week. Hey everybody, it's Rahelia Castillo here. I won't be able to make it tonight. Softball duty calls. So I wanted to give my inside numbers for this week. My first one is 10%, and that is the barrel rate of Andy Baez, who's off to a good start with the Tigers. Again, very small sample size. I mentioned this on Twitter the other night that he is hitting the ball a little harder, which leads me to my second number. You see on the screen, 93.4. That's its exit velocity so far. Still ranks him a little low in the lead. Again, just only he's only seen 114 pitches. But the reason why the barrel, the 10% is important is because he has three barrels already, and he had total six last year. So the launch angle helps, too. He's hidden at 19.3. That's another number one to throw in there as well. He's off to a good start, helping the Tigers offensively, giving them another bat as he's been him and McKinstry unexpected surprises so far in the month of May. Okay. There was Rogelio with his inside number of the week. And do one of you guys want to kick it off? Cameron, do you have one? Did you find one? No, he doesn't. Okay. I'll, I'll kick it off then. So I posted this on Twitter earlier today. I was looking at some stats for May. The Tigers, Offense hasn't been as good as I thought it was in May. It's 745 team OPS, which is respectable. It's about middle of the pack for in baseball. But the three guys leading the Tigers in OPS, my numbers are 1,000, 934, and 896. And those are the OPSs of Javier Baez, Riley Green, and Spencer Torkelson in the month of May. 
And I posed this question. I didn't really ask a question, but I said a big three in a way. And you could make the case that these may be the three most important hitters on the Detroit Tigers. Javier Baez, the veteran guy, obviously, we know he got the big contract, has really perked up since he was pulled out of the game by A.J. Hinch. Three home runs in the month of May. Strikeout rate is at a career low right now. He's walking it at a higher clip. I believe it's a career-high walk rate as well for Baez this year. And Riley Green has been really, really good in the month of May as well. 934 OPS. Has seemingly been on base almost every game. Is lifting the ball more. And Spencer Torkelson as well had an opposite field home run against the Cardinals. Looked a lot more comfortable in the box as well. So we didn't really get to talk about them too much in the opener. But these three guys, I think, are crucial to the Detroit Tigers' success. And we've seen that as these three guys have hit really well in May. The Detroit Tigers have been winning ball games, and their offense has been pretty respectable. So I think if they're going to continue to have success this year offensively, these three guys are going to be at the, at the forefront of it. I like it. I, uh, there was one question that somebody asked earlier that I wanted to get to before I got to my inside the numbers, if you don't mind. Sergio. Pert 66, Sergio Alpert. He said, will the Tigers get a compensation pick if the Tigers don't trade Erod and then he signs a big contract elsewhere in the offseason? And unfortunately, no, they will not because he's got an opt-out. Basically, the Tigers can't, you can't give a qualifying offer to somebody who opts out of the deal. That's what happened. The Twins couldn't do it with Correa last year. They didn't get any compensation when he signed back with the Twins. But he also signed with two other teams before that. They would have not been getting compensation. There. So yeah, the, the Tigers are out of luck there. You're not going to either sign them, trade them, or lose them for nothing, unfortunately. So anyway, my, my answer to the number is six, and that is the run value against sinkers this year for Jake Rogers, which is tied for the best in baseball. And basically all that means is how much better a player performs than expected against a certain pitch type, given the game circumstances and the count and so forth. So far this year, Rodgers is hitting 294 with an 824 slugging against sinkers. It's one of the best in, in, in all of baseball against any pitch. And I just thought it was interesting because to me, we was talking about like, why is Hawk catching certain games? Why is Rodgers catching certain games? I am pretty sure that if Rodgers is starting, you're going to see the opposing pitcher is, is throws a lot of sinkers because Haas is negative five runs. Or, I'm sorry, no, Haas is... is, is one against sinkers, but uh, Rogers is negative five runs against four seamers. So if you got a guy who's a heavy four seamer pitcher, Rogers, you got nothing for you. But that uppercut swing or whatever seems to work perfectly against the sinkers. So that seems to be where he's starting. And uh, I was also looking up just for fun. The, the second best tiger against any kind of pitch is Riley Green with a plus four against curveballs. And Haas is also plus four against sliders. And the worst, Jonathan Scope, negative six against four seamers. Yeah, Yeah. last pod we did talk about Scope. And I know you and Raj talked about him as well. I didn't want to harp on him too much. But yeah, hasn't had an RBI since last September, I believe. I I don't think there's anything to talk about at this point. We're just piling on yeah. to, the, to the guy. Yeah, it's it's a bummer because he was a, at times he had been a productive offensive player. But yeah, it would seem that he can't hit fastballs anymore, which is not a great place to be. I think, I think Torkelson had a similar split with run value between sinkers and four seamers last year. And he was like yeah. plus three or four on sinkers and negative like seven on four seams. So far this year, green is negative three on sinkers and torque is negative two. So that, that's if you, a lot of people, we like to 
joke around about green ground ball and ground balls to second base. I think the sinkers are really doing a number on them. But, you know, it's, it's early in the season. These sort of things may even out as the year goes on. That was my Sad. inside the number. Yeah, my inside the number will be plus six, which All is right. the exit velocity, the rise in exit velocity for Riley Green's pole side hits. Oh, or great. balls in play, not even hits, just balls in play. And April is when he pulled a ball, it was 86.4 exit velocity. So far in May, 92.4 on pulled balls in play. So he's hitting that them worked. harder. Didn't he hit a ball 114 miles an hour the other day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. his hardest <laughs> hardest hit of the year. And that was like a nine pitch at bat as well. Yeah, so yeah, he's, he seems to be locked in, which is fun to see. Yeah, see, I knew you had a good one in you, Cameron. I just um, stole it from Twitter. I, I posted it two days ago. That's not good. Yeah, but I can have a, a fun question. Out of the three guys I mentioned, Baez, Green, and Torkelson, which one do you think is the safest bet to be able to continue? I, I don't think they're going to continue to put up the, the numbers they have in May so far, but to continue the success they've had, which one do you trust and, and are going to rely on the most out of Baez, Green, and Torkelson? Man, that's tough. Yeah, because it's like the veteran bias, but also he's been so like volatile. It's I don't know. I think I might lead towards Riley Green. I don't know about you guys. I might go with Torque just because oh. I think he's doing everything the same he did last month. Things are just starting to go his way. Like the RBI single last game was 108 right past the shortstop. And I made a joke that in April, the shortstop makes that play and throws him mm-hmm. out. But now it's just it, it found a hole. So I think Twerk, I think I think he'll maintain. Probably not an 850 OPS, but he'll keep his X slug, X Woba about the same. Yeah, I, I did want to say Baez just because he's done it before. He's had good seasons in the big, big leagues before. The other two guys haven't really. But I, I've always liked Riley Green's hit tool more than Spencer Torkelson's. But Spencer Torkelson's data is better. For the, all the expected stats are better than, than Riley Green's, but it's just always, Riley Green has always just found hits going back to the minors. And, and I wrote about it a couple of years ago, but Spencer Torkelson, and this doesn't matter. Nobody cares about hitting streaks anymore, but Torque had one five game hitting streak in 2021 and Green had eight, including a couple that were 10 games long. I just, something about him, he just puts the ball sometimes where fielders aren't. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to produce a ton. You're not going to, Get a lot of slugging from a blooper to left center, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I right now it's just a fingers crossed thing. I, I just hope all of them. Just give me all of them. But yeah, I guess I would lean toward toward Riley Green. Yeah, me too. Because with Baez, his strikeout percentage is seventeen point three this year, but that's last year it was like twenty five percent. I just don't know if I can see that. And that was up. like that was yeah. low for him. I yeah, know it, it's. It's, uh, I don't know, he, he does seem to be a guy who, if he, when he gets upset, not even if he gets upset, but like certain things cause him to concentrate in ways that other times he doesn't. What we used to always talk about, he goes to a, a, a stadium where they boo him and he just produces. He's is against, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The lefty reliever from formerly the Reds. Who's last Amir year. Garrett. Amir Garrett. He gets up against Amir Garrett and it's time to, to get a bomb and yell at him. There's something about him. So... I guess we just got to find a way to keep getting them upset. But Hitch should periodically bench. Javi, get out of here. 
But yeah, I in twenty twenty one, I think his strikeout percentage was like thirty three point six or something wild like that too. I mean, yeah. keeping and, it uh, under. Oh wait, go ahead. No, sorry. Go finish here. Keep it uh, under. Yeah, if he was just going to be able to keep it under twenty percent, I think that's a big ask. But even if he can keep it in the lower twenties, I think that'd be pretty solid for him. Option option D between your Baez, Green, and Torkelson. How about Kerry Carpenter? He showed between Green and Torkelson, he showed more consistent power than the two of them, I think. And adding Carpenter, if you took Carpenter from the first two weeks and added it into this lineup, instead of adding Nick Maton cleanup, you've added Carpenter cleanup. Runs per game might might have might have a few more of those. Yeah, I like that. I see I can't I forgot, not forgot about him, but the offense has just been so good. You just, I've been focusing on the other guys, but yeah, Carpenter could be a big part of this. I think if Carpenter, when he comes back, who do you guys think is going to get sent down? That's what I was thinking because I, I really wasn't sure who do you think is going to be the odd man out when Carpenter is healthy. It's tough because Carpenter and and Badu can only play outfield, right? You could say. Mayton's not performing, so send him down. But he can play just about everywhere, and it's it's there's still some value there. They have other guys who are playing everywhere now too, so maybe they could do it that way. But I don't know. Carpenter just had they said he had a setback, right? He, he was feeling some discomfort, so I don't know when we might see him again. But yeah, it's problematic. VG said right here, yeah, Carpenter is another guy who he murders fastballs like Mayton, but but he's a guy who's going to get had a steady diet of breaking balls and off speed. He's going to have to adjust to that. I, I would been impressed with Carpenter seems to have made strides in terms of his plate discipline in the big leagues. First, it started in triple A and it, like he was like a 6% walk guy in double A and uh, he's just been more selective. So I, I feel fairly good about him being able to stay productive, but he, yeah, it might be tough for him if they just pound him with sliders under his hands every day. Like back in the day, that was what got Brennan Bosch. He didn't even strike out too much. He was still striking out like 20%, but they would just throw a slider under his hands and he'd make weak contact and that was it. So we do need to see Carpenter figure out a way to avoid that. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue. Like he came up last year and produced. He came up this year and produced. And, and it's it's just one of those things where you get you just keep doubting the guy because he was never highly touted. But if you're just basing it, if you never knew anything about prospects at all, you'd be like, yeah, he's, he's probably their best young hitter. So that's that's a, a fun point, Cameron. Yeah, I don't know. I think I saw a comment Zach Short. I think he would probably be the guy I would look towards. Oh, he's going down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought yeah, he's 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 far from consistent. Unfortunately, Zach Short is is will have a good game every now and then, and, and he's got physical talent, but there's there's just way too much swing and miss. I think Short and Abanya still have an option left. Badu has I think two or three options left, and then. DFA scope is probably DFA scope's my option, but I'm not in the front office. No, it, it's part of it is is Sports Info Solutions. Somebody pointed this out today. I think pick there in the Discord. They have the Tigers as one of the best defensive outfields in baseball. The, the mix of Green, Badu, and Veerling are performing really well on defense. And it's, but they even gave credit to Kerry Carpenter. It made a couple of nice plays too. So they've been playing really well in defense of the outfield. Badu. Isn't hitting for any power, but he's still doing some enough to help the team for the most part. He's come up in a couple of situations and couldn't get the job done, but he was 
getting on base two, three times a game and, and occasionally causing some havoc. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good problem to have with Gary Carpenter. But at, at this point, I assume that he's going to have a rehab stint in Toledo of probably a week or so when he does come back. So there's some time before we think about that. Some time for Scope to turn it around. Maybe get an RBI or two. Okay. We'll see. Oh, Scopey. Scopey. <laughs> yeah, do you want to get into the good, the bad, the ugly now? Cameron, good me. did you have a good, bad, the ugly? You guys go first. All right. <laughs> I I guess I can kick it off again. So my good was, I did this, I think, last week. It's my take. My It was my take on the Red Sox, but this week it's my take on the Pirates. I was a Pirates doubter. I planted my flag, and Pirates won in nine in their last 10 games. I just didn't trust their offense. McCutcheon and Carlos Santana hitting three and four in your lineup. That would have been good 10 years ago. 2023, I don't know. They're pitching. Mitch Keller has been great, though. He threw a complete game. That's really good to see as a top prospect who really couldn't find his footing, but now I believe he's 27 years old. Is becoming a, hopefully a frontline starter for them, but we know Pirates and, and pitching and all that. But I, I don't know. The Pirates, I predicted they'd be under 500 by the end of May. And right now they've got four games. They're four games over 500. So Pittsburgh, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think the Tigers are a better team than them. I would still think the Tigers would finish with a better record than them. And yeah, I think they were just, they got off to a hot start. It's baseball. Anybody can have a good month. And yeah, Pittsburgh, yeah, one and nine in their last 10. And then my bad is built off that. It's the NL Central. And Pittsburgh, despite being one and nine in their last 10, still is leading the division, which just speaks to how bad the Central really is. The Cardinals, they've shown signs of life. I saw Wilson Contreras had a, a big hit against the Cubs. The Brewers, I, I don't know about you guys. I think the Brewers just, to me, are like, they just scream like mediocrity. Like I, I just look at their lineup, and it's it's just a bunch of solid guys, but no one that can really like carry that offense. It feels like it's a bunch of supporting cast players, and they're pitching. They've had injury problems, and I don't know what it is with the Brewers. Like they look so good in the month of April. They had a really good stretch last year before they fell apart. I just don't know what it is with them, but I just don't really see them as a true contender in the NL. The Cubs, their offense has been better than expected, but they've fell back down. I believe they're under 500 now. And yeah, and then you have the Reds. So that division is just a mess. And I really don't know who I would take. I, I would still probably lead the Cardinals. And as awful as a star they've had, that's saying a lot. And then my ugly would just be the Guardians offense. Worst offense in baseball, I'd say. 622 team OPS. They have 19 home runs. I believe the next closest is the Nationals have 24, so they're in last place. 19 home runs, that's bad. I believe, I'm not sure how many of the Tigers have, but I think it's around 10 more home runs than the Guardians this year. They're last in runs, they're last in hits. And yeah, the fact that they're still hanging around 500 with this offense being that bad is a miracle. I think it shows how good their pitching is, but... Yeah, we have a question about this later in the show about kind of the Tigers, where they stand in the division against the Guardians and the White Sox. And this offense has to get better for the Guardians. I just don't know by how much. And I just wonder, are they going to be one of the worst offensive teams in baseball for the remainder of the season? So they would be my ugly for this week. So Cleveland wasn't, their offense wasn't impressive last year. I think 
they were in bottom and home runs. I believe they were like 98 WRC plus. They were in the playoffs still, though. And I expected some regression, but not this much regression. I think Jose Ramirez and Josh Bell are the only ones capable of hitting a home run in that, that yeah. lineup. I think it would, maybe it was you, John, earlier in the year, you talked about Andres Jimenez. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was, I, I don't remember who it was. He, he got a huge contract, a long-term deal, and he's got 69 WRC plus right now. Yeah, we, I thought the moves they made fit the team well. I thought Zunino would help with the, some pitching and, and would hit some home runs. And right now he's not hitting home runs and striking out like 45% of the time, which is that's part of what you get with Zanino, but he's usually not that bad. And he's had a couple of good seasons where he's hitting 30 home runs. That was what they needed. And, and he hasn't done that yet. And Josh Bell is similar. He's not a, a big strikeout guy, but he's a guy that, that every now and then will break out and have a good offensive season. But other times he looks completely pedestrian and that's where he is right now. And so those were the two main additions to their offense and they were done nothing. And so it's still basically just Jose Ramirez. And, and I'm just annoyed in general, that he signed that deal, that extension with them at like a team discount, partly for him, partly for the Tigers, partly for baseball in general, because he, that, that dude is, is, he really is on like a hall of fame track. He's such a good hitter. He's a good defender and he got power and speed and he's just stuck in Cleveland doing a whole lot of nothing. And it, it bumps me out. Francisco Lindor was the same sort of thing. And it, it's happy he's getting his due in, in New York and it got 330 million or whatever. But uh, I don't know if, if Jose Ramirez was happy there, good for him. But yeah, the offense is brutal right now. And, and uh, that was fun to, to not have the Tigers be the worst offense on the field. Yeah. But yeah. Oscar Gonzalez, he got sent down, right? That's what they're saying in the chat. Yeah. Well, he was, he was, uh, another, he was one of those dudes that he was like a classic Tigers hitter who did, he just never, ever walked. He swung at everything and, and, and he went through a stretch where the hits were falling, but uh, yeah, that's not the sort of. Guys like that are, are tough to build your offense around. It's they're very, it's the Victor Reyes, right? Like he'll show some tools, but there's just not enough plate discipline there to, to be a productive offensive player. It was a couple of years ago, friend Mill Reyes, right? Mm-hmm. Had a big year and then suddenly he's gone. Oscar, Oscar Gonzalez had the one or two of those postseason home runs that really, really hyped everyone up and people are wearing SpongeBob shirts to Guardians games and sucks well, to see him and, go down and and josh naylor has been really rough and i was when i was looking at stats earlier he was one of the guys he was another like pork victim where he's his expected weighted on base average is like 130 points higher than his actual like he's just getting super unlucky which is tough break. sorry Cleveland. <laughs> yeah i don't know what it is with the guard i feel like they always have hitters like that they break out for a year or two and then they just fall through like, i remember bradley zimmer had the uh, looked really solid for them and then you just fall off the map. I feel like that's happened a lot with them, but I just really like Josh Naylor, Andres Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez. I was just a little bit doubtful that they could really continue to do what they did last season. And yeah, they've fallen off the map and so has the offense. Yeah. And we saw the little uncharacteristic like, defensive errors there in that, that final game of the series, at least one, but in general, and we saw it last year. They were there hovering around 500, and then they just took a step forward in the middle of the year, and nobody else did. And it, it wouldn't shock me if they, that happens again because they do catch the ball and they pitch the ball well for the most part. Like Bybee, we talked about, is a very talented young guy. He's still figuring things, some things out. Peyton Battenfield isn't like a 
super sexy prospect, but he's another guy with some pretty good pitch data who might figure some things out. McKenzie, I think, is coming back eventually. So they, they, they may still be a thorn in everybody's side later in the year. I'm not ready to write him off just yet, but for now, I'm enjoying their poor offensive performance. Yep. I, I can go with my good, bad, and Yeah, I, so, uh, I have my three as well. Okay, good work. On the fly. While we're talking about offenses, I'm going to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays, which is not a shock to anybody that they're playing pretty well right now. They're not bad. But I just, like, some of the stats I found kind of comical. So right now, as a team, they're batting, this is before tonight. The last I checked, they were beating the Yankees 4 nothing. As a team, they're batting 372 with a 345 on-base percentage and a 509 slugging as a team, which is good for a 141 rated runs created plus as a team. Again, 41% better than average. The record for a team in the integration era that is since 1947 is the Houston Astros in 2019 at 124. So right now, the Rays are 17% better than the best offense in modern baseball history. In modern baseball history, at least. It's just, it's just crazy. And I was looking up. I was like, okay, which, which player has a career slash line like the entire Rays team was hitting this year? And the best I can come up with is Nelson Cruz. They've got nine Nelson Cruzes. Every day out there batting, it, it's dumb. So yeah, that it's obviously going to come down. I don't think they're going to be the greatest offense of all time, but right now it's it's ridiculous. My bad, and I I touched on this earlier was the Toledo Mudhens. I I you I went and saw them in person a couple of times, and he was all bummed out because they did absolutely nothing in front of him. And then today, Justin Henry Malloy did a home run. He's yeah, fine, awesome, thanks. But they've lost eight games in a row. They got outscored against Indianapolis, 41 to 15. They just got absolutely bombed. And there's three straight losses to Iowa. The pitching is really bad. We talked about this earlier when we were talking about Fajardo. You know, Reese Olsen was the guy that, that kind of, we were all hoping, like we've, we've, Rahelio and I have, have been projecting him to the bullpen for a while, but it was like a hope. Yeah, maybe he'll still figure it out. I don't know if you guys have looked at his stats this year. He has started seven games. He has a 9.67 ERA. That is... 32 hits and 16 walks in 22 and one-third innings. 44 earned runs. He, uh, he has just thrown batting practice up there. It's, it's, it's ugly, and it's a bummer. And, but yeah, but like the other options there haven't been much better. Garrett Nill's not pitching terribly well. Ashton Goodell, Brendan Hanafy, and guys like that aren't moving the needle at all. So yeah, it, it's been rough. And then on offense, everybody... Justin Henry Malloy is, is this year's call-up guy. Like every time we post a highlight, everybody, this dude rakes because okay you know what in his last two weeks he's got an ops of 755 which is okay but it's not call him up territory but that's even better than parker meadows who's that 688 and then you got andre lipsius is only 536 ops he is really struggling he's hitting way too many pop-ups way too many weak grounders so it's just a it's a bad time right now for the old mud hands. they need an exorcism of some sort but maybe in the minor leagues, things can switch quickly. In my ugly, and this is something that you touched on a little bit, John, is is the whole Cardinal situation. And this goes beyond, you know, I think Rod just talked about it earlier here. It had the, the, the whole, like, Tyler O'Neill get called out by his manager for reasons that weren't quite clear what, what's going on there. And then you have the organization, like, basically blaming Wilson Contreras for their pitching being awful. Yeah, we, we can't have him catching anymore. You just signed this dude to a bunch of money, and, and suddenly, uh, have you guys considered that maybe your pitching sucks? No, they haven't. And then the other day, you got Jack Flaherty coming out and basically 
getting angry at reporters for asking him why he's not throwing harder. It's saying, let's just, I'm going to do what I want to do. Say, yeah, I'm throwing 88 on purpose. I, you which, don't understand the art of pitching. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was bad. And, and then you got the 13 and 25 record, which isn't good. The only super annoying thing to me, and that just is what you mentioned, John, is that the Pirates and Brewers are both playing terrible right now. One and nine and two and eight in their last 10 games. So they, they are missing a chance to bury the Cardinals, which is, I'm not, I'm not sad about the Cardinals situation being so ugly, but yeah, it's, it's just a weird, it's like hard to figure who's, I think the White Sox have now edged ahead of the Cardinals in terms of ugliness, but those two teams have been, it's been it's some schadenfreude there watching those teams struggle. Yeah. You didn't mention the Cubs in that. Where do you guys stand on that? I really don't know what to make of this team. I, you know, what's interesting. And so that's the, the, the team that Toledo's playing right now. They're playing the Iowa Cubs. The Cubs are getting good pitching. Justin Steele has taken a step forward. I, I think he's going to regress a little bit, but you've got Chris Miley's pitching. Stroman has been p- pitching well. They've got Peyton Wisniewski, who's been pitching well outside of like one rough start, and he's a rookie. They, Kyle Hendricks shut down the Mudhens the other day. He's on his way back. Jameson Tyon is on his way back. The dude that pitched against them yesterday was upper 90s all game. Ben Brown, I think his name is. They got him from, from the Phillies. He looks like an interesting arm. So they've got some talent there. The offense, I don't know. The Bellinger has been playing well this year. They just brought up what's his name? The you know that that cool story. Yeah, the first baseman, Matt. Yeah, Matt Mervis, Mevis. Yeah, Mervis. Yeah, I think he was an undrafted free agent in 2020. I think. I don't know. I was toying around in my head earlier this year or earlier this week. If and when Drew Smiley gets hurt, would would the Cubs be a trade destination for Erod? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. They're playing a lot better than I expected. So. It, you nailed it, John. It's a tough division to, to pin down because, yeah, I, I don't feel great about any of those teams. Yeah. The more I look at the Cubs, honestly, the more I like them. With the Swanson, Ian Happ, Bellinger, you've got Trey Mancini, Suzuki, he hasn't really gotten going yet. And they've got decent depth, too, and their pitching's been good. Marcus Stroman is a guy we didn't mention. So I don't know if they could yeah. be a, a sleeper team. Yeah, the Cubs have faced a lot of teams over 500. They're 10 and 12 against teams above 500, and that's, I guess, St. Louis has faced quite a, quite a bit of teams above 500 too. But their run dif- differentials plus 48, best in division, like third best in the NL. So I think they're getting a little bit unlucky. I would not be surprised if the Cubs just shot up this division and had it by the All Star break. That'd be yep. some. What do you got, Cameron? Hey, my good is Harrison Bader. I like to I like to stalk the Yankees subreddit and Yankees <laughs> Twitter accounts. And before the season started, everyone was like, "Reminder: Harrison Bader is not some home run king just because he went off in the postseason and hit five home runs and in the ALCS. He's not going to come and do that during the regular season." The past week, he's hitting 478, 520, 1.04, 1.043 slugging, three home runs, I think two doubles. Yeah, he's he's sitting quite well. The Yankees move over, Aaron Judge. You have your new center fielder. My bad. What was what was my bad again? I I I've I've I forgot my bad. My ugly though. Okay. My ugly is Lance Lynn. Let the Oh, my bad was the Padres. After mm. watching the Twins Padres series, so disappointing. What a what a boring offense to watch. Tatis hit a first pitch nuke 
to start the game. After that, I mean, it was just such a boring baseball. How do you have Tatis, Cronenworth, Soto, Bogarts all at the top of your order and just just boring baseball. The Twins don't impress me. We'll get into the division later, I think, since it was one of the questions. But the Tigers don't look any better or worse than the Twins. And then my ugly Lance Lynn allowing, allowing a lot of runs against the Royals. Five innings, seven earned runs against the Royals. One of the worst offenses. And the worst offense in baseball. Lance Lynn brings his season ERA up to 7.51. Whip is 1.6. I saw this coming last year after he allowed a Willie Castro home run. <laughs> he ended up he ended up doing pretty well last year, but I don't know. Lance Lynn's out he's just never impressed me, but he's he's gotten swing and misses. He's continued to do well into his mid thirties. But yeah, I think I think Lance Lynn is cooked. Yeah, you know what? That's annoying. Because I do have him on my fantasy team. Nobody cares, but I, I had both both him and Justin Verlander going last night. And Verlander gave up a run, two runs in the first inning. I think it was a run. Two hits in the first inning. Like, ah, boy, here we go. And then just vintage Verlander. He was throwing 97 on his, like, 101st pitch in the seventh inning. Just that dude's insane. But, yeah, Lynn, Lynn also gave, some, gave up some runs early. And then he gave up some runs in the middle. And then he gave up some runs late. He is, uh, yeah. That's bad. I that was another thing. I'm like, oh, if the White Sox sell, then the Tigers might have some competition on the market with Lynn and Giolito. It's just like, <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody wants that. I, I don't think it'll be this bad, but it's going to be hard for him to get that ERA down. Yeah, the White Sox have to be sellers, though, right? Can can they come I, back from this? I I don't think so. I, I, I the 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 real question though is just like, all right, do you? Like John, you talked about this. You can't have another rebuild under this leadership group, Ken Williams and Rick Hahn. So do you blow them out like right now? And then you're bringing in like a new GM in the middle to sell everybody off? Or do you have those guys? Like, I don't know. It's it's a weird situation. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. The, the Tigers basically got rid of Avila after all that stuff last year. And you wonder, uh, it would have been better if they didn't do that. But I don't know. Yeah. It's not like they're going to go out and spend a bunch of money next year in free agency either to really improve no. this ball club. Yeah, I, I don't know. Before we get into that, we did have an inside the number in the chat. It was Oakland's ERA, 7.43. Uh, yeah, I don't know. For me, I'm at the point with Oakland. Like, I just I just don't have interest in them. As they're just, There's not a lot going for me. There's, for every team, there's usually like a player or, uh, or two you can look at and have interest in and fall throughout the season. With Oakland right now, it's like, Brett Rooker. Brayer. Yeah. Other than him, though, it's like, I just tuned Oakland out. Like, it just, I just don't have any interest in him right now. Can I, can I put an asterisk next to my Harrison Bader good? Because they did have a three-game series versus Oakland. Oh. Which will, will be a spark plug for any offense. Yeah. I mean, the, the real big bummer is that Mason Miller was, like, that guy. He was going to be that guy who was really interesting to watch, that super hard-throwing pitcher. And he makes what three starts and oh, the arm soreness and it doesn't sound great there. I haven't seen any updates, but it's like, yeah, that usually doesn't lead to good stuff. So yeah, he was the one kind of bright spot there with their pitching. 
And yeah, that's unfortunate. And then you mentioned, yeah, Rooker's having a good year. And then other than that, it's like seeing how many steals a story release can get this year. Hey, can he get to 70, 80? Okay. I don't know. We didn't, we didn't mention what, one thing we should put up as a bonus good. And I don't know when he's pitching is, is that Yuri Perez got called up by the Marlins, mm-hmm. which is fun because that, that's a dude who is crazy talented. What is he? He's like six foot nine and, and I think he's 14. He's super young. But really good. So it's always fun to see some of these top prospects come up and play. I, I'm eager to watch him pitch. He is six foot eight and turned 20 in April. So 14, as I said. <laughs> no, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's nuts, right? He, he just turned 20 and he's, he's, and he's got to be the youngest pitcher to hit the big league since was it Julio Urias, maybe. Yeah. What six to Sanchez? He came up. I feel like he was pretty good. Whatever happened with, him. I'm, I was and, so confused and, with that. Injuries, injuries, injuries. He also, like, some people were complaining about him being all dunky. He was like, maybe let himself go a little bit. Now, last I saw him, he'd actually lost a bunch of weight. He was looking good in spring, but then he got injured again. Yeah, that's, they had, they had a lot of awfully good young pitching there and, and they still do, but it's, faces have changed. Yeah, that's a, I'm curious about the, the youngest pitcher now. I don't know if Cameron's on that research style or not, but yeah. I looked up Jose Fernandez had just turned 20 as well when he made his debut for the Marlins. That's yeah, that was the closest one. I could think of. But Yeah, because I think Felix Hernandez, I think, is the last pitcher who was 19 to pitch in the big leagues. But yeah, yeah I mean, 19 as well, 19 and 118 days old. Who was? when Felix Hernandez. Uh, yeah. Just turned 19. Yeah, that's so. nice. Yeah, you don't see that very often anymore, so it'll be cool to watch. Yeah. So you guys want to get into the questions now? Works for me. Yeah. So we did have a question from Stan. It said, which big money team is performing the worst? So I guess like what team that is obviously has a bigger payroll has been the biggest disappointment for you guys. For me, I'd probably have to look at the New York Mets with all the money they spent, the money they tried to spend getting Correa as well. Yeah, We haven't even touched on Correa, how awful he's been either this year. I believe he was, I think he like admitted to being awful in some interview. I don't think he was getting booed or anything, but yeah, Correa, I don't know if there's something going on with his injury or, or what, but he's not been good for the Twins. But I, yeah, I feel the Mets, just with all the money they've spent, giving that huge contract to Brandon Nimmo, huge contract to Lindor, yeah, they should be one of the better teams in baseball. They should be right there with the Braves at the top of that division. And yeah, they didn't look great against the Tigers. Obviously, they can turn it around. But I'd say the Mets, to me, have been the biggest disappointment out of the, the big money teams. And they have the highest payroll in baseball. And they're two games under 500 right now. Yeah, immediately to the Mets jumped to my mind, too. I think maybe also the Padres a little bit right now. And maybe even the Phillies, too. But the Mets are the one that, that is most glaring. Although, to a certain extent, it's also the most understandable. Yeah, Verlander out. Scherzer's been hurt a little bit. They lost uh, was it Quintana. They lost Diaz. Like they they had to deal with some, some pretty big injuries there to their pitching staff, which is I think they're they're one of the worst pitching teams right now in baseball. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's like the camera was saying the Padres just don't seem quite right, which is unfortunate because you got all this talent, all these big names at least. And in Philly is also just floundering, but. I, I don't know. It, like nobody's like super underperforming. They're all basically around 500 right now. Other than 
I, I don't know if we consider the Cardinals or the White Sox big market teams or big money teams. I don't think so. I think they're more of like middle of the pack, but they've, they've been the two biggest disappointments across baseball, I think. So not necessarily a big money team, but the Astros under a big, big money acquisition in the offseason getting Jose Abreu. Yeah, they could have probably stuck with Yuri, Yuri, Yuri Gurriel and had, had better better outcomes because Jose Abreu coming into today, 47 OPS plus. Is he homered yet? No homers. <sighs> no extra. Uh, six doubles. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, not good. Not not looking good for the Astros. They're they're in contention with the division, but they're they're not looking like favorites right now. Yeah, I don't know. There's been a lot of teams I feel like that have disappointed, but that's like every season, and then we'll seem to pick it back up. I did see a comment from Sergio says Joel Joe Nulax was 15 Joe, when he Joe Nuxall. Yeah, okay. I think I think I believe that was during World War II when they were like, we need somebody to pitch. Yeah, he was, he was, he's the youngest pitcher ever, but yeah, I think, I think going in the last 60 years, you might have a handful of guys pitching before they're 20 and, and yeah, Perez is what, 20 and 25 days or something like that. He's gotta be among like the, the 20, 30 youngest guys to pitch in the last few decades. But yeah, Nuxall is a, one of those, when I was a kid, I used to get Beckett baseball monthly, baseball card monthly it was a baseball card magazine and, and they would have, mostly it was baseball card prices. I can see which, oh, my card went up five cents this month for some reason. But they would have articles about all those guys. And it was like Joe Nuxall and, and the, the one dude that the White Sox, Eddie, Eddie Goodell, the, the little person who they had bat and draw a walk, the shortest player to ever play baseball. Stuff, so, no, none since that. And Nuxall is a, a name that sticks with you just because. Yeah, yeah Gooden, look. Gooden, I think, was 19. Kerry Wood was 20. I'm looking at the Tigers. Rick Porcello had just turned 20, and Jeremy Bonderman had just turned 20 as well. So something about Dombrowski and wanting to make their arms fall off as soon as possible. And I want to say, I I would bet that Brett Saberhagen made it as 20. I think Zach Greinke might have been 20 when he first pitched in the big leagues. Maybe they're more more than I I thought, but Perez is barely 20, like you said. So he's got to be among the younger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then we did have a question from Deadly Ninja Bees, always giving us some good questions. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. Jake Rogers, is he the most important player on the Tigers? Well, I think he's referring to his framing and kind of Eduardo Rodriguez painting the corners and all that. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I, I, it's hard for me to say he's the most important player on the Tigers when he's oh. not the primary catcher. But Catchers, I, I don't think people fully appreciate the value of catching, the overall value it is to the whole team. And he's certainly, he's been one of their best power hitters too. So he's definitely an unsung, unsung hero on the team. But I, I still think that the most important players are going to be Baez, Green, and Torvalson. Yeah, but just overall, like his framing, like how impactful do you really think it's been for them? I haven't. They have stats for that. I haven't looked him up, but he does seem to be pretty good at it. I don't know if, if I think the impact of framing has lessened over the last decade or so when people started first studying it because everybody knows about it now and everybody's trying it and the umps even know about it. So I'd be shocked if he's provided more than like a win with his framing this year. Still a lot, but yeah, I think there's, there's more value. I mean, 
it, it, that might actually make him the, the most valuable player on the team right now. But I would think, I think by the end of the year, I, I don't think he's going to be the most valuable. I think there's some some value that like no stat can provide with with catchers and their relationship with pitchers and their prep into games because using the Cardinals as an example, they lose Yadier Molina and everything goes to shit. I mean, mm-hmm. their their pitchers are blaming the catchers. Their catcher is now playing left field now, thinking they're Eric Haas. And and it's just it's just because Yadier Molina isn't there now and people have to do their own prep and no one taught no one really taught their catchers how to prep because Yadi just did it all. So I think Jake Rogers' personality mixed with his relationship with the pitchers and everything, I think I think there's some value there that we can't really put our fingers on that he brings to the team. Plus, I mean, his personality in the clubhouse is yeah. pretty good as well. Unsung hero. That, yeah. I think that's what comes to mind for me. But yeah, but then he had a second question. This team seems to be actually better than the Guardians and White Sox. Am I just a prisoner of the moment or is this sustainable? Tigers, better than the Guardians or White Sox. What do you guys think? Uh, I think they're probably about equal. I don't know. I think we're, we're just catching the Tigers playing really right now. We, we can't forget the first couple of weeks of the season. Now I, people want to. Hopefully they don't revert to that sort of thing or the way they play against every AL East team, apparently. But, but yeah, I, I, the Tigers are playing pretty good baseball right now, but it's not like they're setting the world on fire. They're just being an average to slightly above average baseball team over the last you know, three weeks or so. I do think that they, they seem to be, I don't know, they're, they're below average across the board, which I think somehow pushes everything up towards average, whereas... Yeah, the, you talked about earlier, the Guardians have some severe offensive problems right now. And the White Sox, the pitching is a disaster. So they, it may be that the Tigers are just better by default than those two teams. Yeah, just looking at run dif- differential, Cleveland's better than the Tigers in run differential, mainly because of their stellar starting pitching. If I think Minnesota's slightly ahead of them just because of the way their offense is built and every they have some power there. But I don't, I don't really know what it is with the White Sox. I just, it's not Tony LaRusse's fault anymore. Yeah, yeah and yeah, I, I think Detroit's solidly ahead of the White Sox for whatever reason. If we looked on paper at, with no stats, I'd be like, oh, this White Sox team way better than Detroit, but there's just something there. And then, yeah, Kansas City is even in the discussion, so. Yeah, I think the Guardians, they'll get a little better offensively, so I think I'd probably put them second. And then the Twins, I'm not in love with them, but I still think Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan. I believe they lost Tyler Malley to Tommy John, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so that's unfortunate. But, I mean, they got Kenta Maeda back. And their offense, Correa's got to be better at some point. Buxton, you hope, can stay healthy, but... That seems a little far-fetched. And yeah, I think their offense is good enough. I, I don't think they're a, a 90-95 win team, but maybe they could be in in the high 80s, and they'd probably be my pick right now to, to win the division, even though I'm, it's not a very confident pick, but you got to pick some. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's a bad division. 
there's there's no doubt about it. I, I do think that you're right that, that the twins probably have the most room for error, if you will. There's there's enough talent there on both sides of the ball that they can get away with playing nonsense baseball for a while. They just got back Alex Kirilov, who had a walk-off hit for him the other day. Royce Lewis is doing, I think, a rehab and, and I don't know which level, but he may be coming back soon. So they've got some reinforcements there. I don't know. I haven't checked in with what Jose Miranda is doing, but they, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid team. So I do think that they're probably going to win out, but never discount the AL Central's ability to fall on its face. They, there's some epic flops in this division. I, I just looked it up and Elvis Luciano was 19 when he made his debut for the, the Blue Jays in 20, 2019. He was, it was a weird situation though. He was a rule five pick, I think. And it was just like, uh, it was a bizarre one where they're like, uh, I don't know, they just threw him in the bullpen. I don't think he's been to the big league since. So I don't know if that worked out for him. But th- that's the last 19-year-old pitcher I could find. All right. Do you guys have anything else? Those are the only questions I had. Anything else you guys want to talk about? There's a question on Twitter. How sustainable do you guys think the success of Michael Lorenzen is given the low strikeout numbers in these past few solid starts? I don't expect seven innings from him again. Going into any Michael Lorenzen start, I'm not expecting seven innings, but with the Tigers defense, putting the ball in play, that's a solid way to get through an outing. Yeah, yeah, the Tigers have one of the better defenses in baseball this year. We talked about the outfield earlier, so I think that's the the, the weird thing about this. We've seen under Chris Vetter and Juan Nieves is, is they haven't really had any kind of like huge strikeout guys. You got Alex Lang basically, but they just have a lot of guys who specialize kind of weak contact. And, and I don't know if that's a great way to have success, but they, these pitchers seem to have been doing it for a while now, right? Jason Foley has been pretty solid for going back to like the middle of last year. Erod is not a huge strikeout guy. He can't get some strikeouts, but he's mostly a strikeout, like, that you looking guy. So I don't know. I, I, Lorenzen does have some pretty good stuff. He's got a big arm, and I like his changeup. He'll flash some pretty good breaking ball. So I, I wouldn't expect him, like Cameron said, I wouldn't expect him to go like seven innings and not give up any runs. But I think the guy that you probably project like a four or five ERA on him for the rest of the season. Things which is totally fine, like number five starter. So his BABIP right now is 282, and his career average is 291. And with the Tigers' defense, that seems sustainable. Yeah, I feel like at this point in his career, he's 31. His ERA in the season is 4.18. His career ERA is 4.10. So I feel like this is the pitcher he's going to be. He's not going to be a frontline starter, but if he can keep his ERA just slightly above four, I, I think that would be a flying pitcher for the Tigers. Obviously, he's had trouble staying healthy. But, yeah, I think he'd be a valuable pitcher for not only us, but for a team that maybe needs a back-end starter or maybe a long reliever. But, yeah, I believe that this is who he is at this point. I don't really see him taking a big leap forward at, at 31 years old. I think this is it's been consistent with what he's done throughout his career. Yeah, he strikes me as a number five starter. And, and number five starters sometimes give you a seven innings and two, like one earned run, two earned runs. And other times they'll give you a three or four innings and six earned runs. That's just kind of how it goes. But at, at the end of the year, I think it'll be a middling ERA and, and decent production. And I've been fairly pleased with what we've seen from him so far. Thank you. 
All right. Any other questions that we had? I didn't no. So MX9 in chat, Will Vest 9 innings, 0 ERA. Shout out Will Vest. He didn't even look that great in AAA, but he's come up <laughs> and come up and performed. Yeah, that's relievers are weird, man. He was he was awful in spring training, awful the first five outings in AAA, and then oh wait. And then so that he doesn't get the many runs. Like I d I don't know what's up with you guys, but good work. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, Tigers three games set with the Mariners starting tomorrow. And they have another day off and back at it on Tuesday against the Pirates. So maybe the Tigers can help the Pirates fall under 500, make my prediction come true. And then another day off after the Pirates series. And then they got the Nationals. So hopefully the good vibes can continue. That's not. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a hypothetical, not even a hypothetical, a question okay. for you. Will the Tigers get to 500 this month? Yeah. They're 17 and 19 right now. You think they're going to get up to 500? I think so. I think they had 27 games in May. I think 19 of those games were against teams that were under 500 in April. So, yeah, the Nationals, I think they can take care of them. The Pirates, they don't really scare me. The Mariners, I could see their offense perking up a little bit. But then I think they have the White Sox later in the month. They have the Royals as well. Yeah, I could see them finishing above 500. They're only two games under 500 right now, and they've had an incredibly rough schedule. Yeah. I'd say yes. I'll say I'll say above five hundred, and they bring their run differential up to up to zero. Wow, what is it right now? Negative negative something. Negative thirty four. So. Oh, that's a tough X. <laughs> so I yeah, I I don't think they'll be at exactly zero, but I think depending on the situation, they maybe one game could bring it up to zero bring it back down to zero who knows That's interesting. i wonder the last time probably 2016 the last time they were at 500 in may it'd be interesting to, to look not counting 2020 20, season yeah in 2021 they came it seems like they were like three or four games back of of 500 in july something like that yeah. like i remember like i remember like one of the texas games where they won like 12 to 12 to 2 yeah, they have a really rough start in that year. But yeah, 2017, 2018, 2019, all just, they were bad for pretty much all of the year. Since we're asking questions, Chris, does Torkelson and Green stay above 800 OPS for the month? Probably not. I would say no. Just based on the, the young guys, they go through the ups and downs. 750 would, would be okay. I think they were both in the... Oh, you're, you what? cut out, Chris. What did you say? Oh, I said uh, I'm going to go no on that one. Okay. Okay. What about you, Cameron? Yeah, I think I think their BABIP's a little high right now. Riley Green has like a 400 batting average in May right now. I just, I want to see Torkelson hit five home runs in a month. I don't think it's going to happen this month because what we're 11, 11 days in and he hasn't hit, he's hit one home run this month, I think. I just want to see one five home run month out of Torkelson or Green. Just show me some type of consistent power for a month, and I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, you shall see. But yeah, I think it'll hopefully continue to be a good month for the Tigers. I think that's all we got for you guys tonight. What about an hour 30, which is usually where we like to keep mm -hmm. it at? But yeah, for Raj and Uper, maybe well, I know you and 
Raj do a Sunday show on the minor league report, Chris. Yeah, um, usually. Yeah. I think we're um, heading, heading to West Michigan on Saturday. Oh, nice. Anyone in particular you guys are going to see? No, not not really. I'll uh, just kind of like, like a nice to get out there. I think it's a Matt Manning bobblehead giveaway night. We're going to try to grab a couple of those and, and give them away to some listeners and viewers on Sunday. Possible. Oh, nice. But yeah, we might be on for a Monday show, but we'll keep you guys posted. Thank you to everyone who was in the chat. Thank you, everyone who subscribed. Thank you for the $10 donation we got. And yeah, make sure to follow us on Twitter. This podcast will be posted tomorrow anywhere you can find your podcast. But yeah, for me, from Chris, from Cameron, thank you guys so much for listening. See you. See you in the next one. Thanks for pinch hitting, Cameron. Off the bench.